if you're wondering, I did not forget about communion. I know everybody should have gotten a communion uh, cup and wafer. So tonight, I'm actually, um, I want to do a teaching on communion before we take communion. You know, this month that we've been um, uh, honoring Brother Francis, we, we named our series The Kingdom's Economy uh, after Brother Francis' last book he wrote. And so tonight, I want to do something similar. You know, as I was thinking about tonight, and and actually, uh, we had a little change up, and someone else was scheduled to preach tonight, and I in, and I found out that I would be preaching, and I thought about uh, communion, and and uh, thought, man, you know, we don't we we often when we take communion, we share a scripture or two, and then we explain the basis. But tonight, I just felt like I want to honor Brother Francis. I got this teaching from him. Uh, on a, a, a great teaching, and, and those of y'all that know our founding pastor, Brother Francis, that is with the Lord now. Uh, he was a great Bible teacher. He he was he was trained in a Bible college. He taught in Bible college many years, and so um, so I got this teaching from him. I actually taught this um, similar uh, teaching uh, about eleven years ago when I was a youth pastor. I taught it to our our teenagers, and just to show the history of communion and and, and what it is, and so. Um, so yeah, so we, I know we're going to have some ushers. I don't know if they're still in here. I was at the end. If anybody didn't grab one, you're here. I know a couple of people got up, but if, you know what, if, if you didn't get a, if you didn't get a cup or a wafer, let me see your hand. Let's go ahead and do it now. If it so looks like everybody, Mr. Rex, we might be good. Everybody got one? Everybody got a cup and a wafer? Y'all are good? Did y'all get communion? Everybody got the elements? Okay. I think we're good. Mr. Rex, I don't see anybody. As I was talking about, I just want to make sure. But we will partake in communion towards the end of the service. But I want to do a teaching. So uh, this is going to be more of a teaching tonight. So if you're looking for an outline and PowerPoints, I don't have that tonight, okay? This is going to be more of a teaching. I am more of a preacher. Y'all have heard me say that. Um, And so, uh, but this is going to be more of a teaching tonight. Uh, So some people call it the Lord's table. Some the Lord's supper. We see in 1 Corinthians 11 too. If you want to turn there, we're going to have a few scriptures there in 1 Corinthians. Usually this is the scripture. When I do communion during the service, I usually use 1 Corinthians 11. So I'm going to start there. I'm going to, I'm, we're going to go to, we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament and, and whatnot. So if you have your Bible or your iPad or phone, you can look at that. 1 Corinthians 11, 20, 21. You can turn there, but let's see what the apostle Paul causes. He said, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. So obviously the apostle Paul calls it the Lord's Supper. See, communion is also known as one of the sacraments of the church, right? We know that whether if, if you grew up in different denominations, you've heard it as one of the sacraments. So what is a sacrament? A sacrament actually means it's an oath. It's an oath. So for example, there's other sacraments you can say we have in the church. And, and, it, and uh, um, for example, baptism is an oath to die to self and follow Christ, which, by the way, that is something else that's coming up. April 7th, uh, a week from Sunday, is baptism. We're going to have a water baptism here on a Sunday morning again uh, at the second service. So if you've been born again and you've not been water baptized, um, go ahead and, and let us know. You can go to the info center or call the church office. Um, if you're not sure what baptism is, you don't feel ready, jump into the Next Steps class and we do a, a teaching on that. You can also um, go online, right? That teaching is online, right? Uh, Pastor Todd's baptism teaching is online uh, at flchurch.net. So if you want to go listen to his teaching and then you'll be ready to jump in on April the 7th. So baptism is an oath to die to self and follow Christ. Just as confession is an oath to tell the truth. Just as matrimony is an oath to keep the promise to the person 
you marry, right? I was, I'm, I'm officiating a wedding Saturday night, and I was thinking about this as I was uh, studying for this today. That's what, these are all different oaths, different sacraments, right? Baptism, confession, marriage, these are sacraments. So what is communion? To fully understand communion, we must go back to the Passover because these two are related. So if you want to flip with me to Exodus chapter 12, uh, verse Verses 1 through 6. Exodus 12, 1 through 6, and all these scriptures are going to be in the New Living Translation. It says this, While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice. One animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, eat either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Now, that's important. Why is that important? Because, of course, this was a type and a shadow of Jesus' crucifixion. See, we can't separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. You, most of y'all know that, but if, if you're new to church or Christianity or the Bible, people say, oh, brother, that's just Old Testament. Matter of fact, you know, even just reading this morning in my daily devotion, I'm reading through the book of Deuteronomy. And, you know, Deuteronomy has all kind of laws and whatnot. But there was a couple of things, even as I was reading there this morning, that that was would still uh, you know, ha- affects today. It's still uh, things that we live by today. So, but this is the deal. People, someone has uh, has said that the uh, the the New Testament is concealed in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. So, also later in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that everything that the Israelites went through was a type. The, the Greek word is a typos, a type or shadow of what we live in in the New Testament church now. So the Passover, as we just read, this was a shadow and a type of Jesus being crucified. These things weren't random uh, acts. God was setting up a stage of, of what was to come, his son coming down to the earth and dying on the cross for our sins. You see, let's look at the Passover again. The Jews had to keep that lamb for three days and examine it that it had no blemishes. They had to make sure. That's how when they, they had, before they went sacrifice the animal at the Passover, three days they had to look over to make sure there was no defect, no spot or blemish. Check this out. They did the same thing to Jesus, except they examined him for three years. Think about that. His public ministry was for three years, and people always had a close eye on him. And we read in the Gospels, people were always trying to trip him up and find some fault in him. Isn't that true? They were constantly like trying to, the, the Pharisees, people were always trying to trip him up to see if there was any fault in him, any defect, any, any weak link, so to speak, in Jesus. Think about this, when Jesus was before Pilate, Pilate asked them, what has he done? What's his crime? You remember he was asking, they were saying, hey, crucify him, crucify. Pilate was saying, why? For what? What what did he do? And after he hears, he examines Jesus himself, he hears all these accusations from the Jews in the crowd. What does Pilate say in the Gospels? He says, I find no fault with him. Isn't that awesome? I found they examined him for three years and even before the moments before he died and even Pilate, the governor at that time, powerful man in the region said, I find no fault with him. You know why? Because Jesus was the perfect lamb. 
He was the perfect lamb. So we see the Passover was a type and a shadow. So let's keep, continue on in Exodus chapter 12, verses 7 through 14. It says, they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Listen, be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of the death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. So we see that the Passover celebration, the Passover meal was what? It was a memorial, right? Like he was in, he was, he was talking about the Passover and this was to come. But after that, they had the Passover festival, the Passover celebration, and they continued to celebrate this. From the, from that time of that scripture we just read to the time of Christ, we see through the Bible that the Jews practiced the Passover. Now, they didn't always do it because they backslid through some of the years and wasn't fully serving the Lord. But in Mark 14, Jesus was going with his disciples in the upper room. He was going to eat the Passover meal. What we call the Last Supper was actually the Passover meal that he was going to eat with his disciples. This was actually the last Passover meal, and not because it was the last meal he would eat before he died. A lot of us think that. When we hear the Last Supper or the last meal, it's really, the significance is not because it was the last meal before he was going to die. Look at John 13, 1 and 2. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Jesus, son of Simon Isariot, to betray Jesus. See, he was getting ready for the Last Supper, which led to the First Communion. The last Passover meal leads to the First Communion service that we continue to do. You ever wondered that? You know, you might have think, well, because they were Jewish and we're born-again Christians. But this was the transition. You, you, you start, all right, is everybody following me so far? This is the transition. The Last Supper was the last Passover supper, and it began the First Communion service or communion supper, so to speak. Look at Luke 22, 14 and 16. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. See, what was he talking about? He was fulfilling the prophecy of Passover. Passover, remember, was a type and shadow of the crucifixion. So he said he was fulfilling it. He was just like, you remember whenever he was in Luke, uh, in Luke chapter four? And that sounded funny when he was in Luke, you know, like when he was in the book of Luke, you know, you ever do that? Like sometimes I'll do that when I'm reading my Bible, like, yeah, this, or if I'm reading a blog, I read a blog from Pastor Larry. I was like, yeah, Pastor Larry was talking about that this morning in his blog. Like, like, you know, he was talking to me this morning. He probably wrote that like weeks or months ago. This is the second time Kenetra, she gets what I'm saying. She's like the only one that 
You know what I'm saying? I put myself in present tense. Because when I'm reading a Bible or a book, it's like that person's talking to me, right? So he was talking to me this morning. So when Jesus was in the book of Luke, which obviously he was through all throughout the Bible, when Luke recorded it, look at Luke 22 and 17, uh, 17 to 19. I'm sorry, I got sidetracked there. I chased my, a rabbit. In Luke 4, you remember whenever he picked up the scroll of, of Isaiah? And he read uh, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointing me to preach the good news to the poor and to heal the sick and to heal the brokenhearted and the, to, to set the captives free. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. You remember that? That was in Luke chapter four. So I'm glad I killed that rabbit to get back on track. He's saying it again. He's prophesying that, listen, I'm about to fulfill what the Passover meant. We read the Passover. He said, hey, if you put the blood on the doorpost, the death angel's not going to be able to touch you. We've all sinned and we deserve death. But because of the blood of Jesus, the death, death cannot lo no longer harm us, right? Yes, we have a physical death, but the Bible says that because of Jesus, that death loses its sting. Because we really don't die, we just change locations. We just change addresses, so to speak. And thank God the address we go into, they can't send us any more junk mail over there, right? Isn't that right? So Luke 22, 17 and 19, let, let's look at it. Let, let's look at what's the last Passover transitioning into the first communion. Luke 22, 17 and 19. They took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink it again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Now we know he used these as symbols because obviously it wasn't his actual body, right? He didn't cut parts of his flesh off and put it to give to them. He didn't actually drain his blood. It was symbolic. What he was saying was this is symbolic of my body and my blood. Then in verse 20, he says, after he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus tells them that there's a new covenant beginning between God and his people. And remember, the stuff in the cup they were drinking wasn't going to do this. It was the blood in his veins that was going to do this, right? Right? There wasn't nothing magical in the, the wine that they were drinking. It was symbolic. He was saying, hey, I'm making a covenant with you, and it's going to be with my blood. Let's look at what a blood covenant is. Let's, let's have a little history lesson here. We don't really, we have a hard time understanding covenants. And I, I say this every time I officiate a wedding. I did one here just two weeks ago. Like I said, I'm doing one Saturday night. And, and, and I always share this because in America and really in the Western world, we truly don't have a good understanding of what a covenant was. Let's look at what a blood covenant was back in the day. In history, it was made by literally exchanging blood. Each person would cut themselves and mingle it or mix it together in a cup and drink it. Now, everybody in here just cringed when I said that. I'm like, you know, I sanitize my hands after I shake a lot of people's hands today. Like, I wouldn't drink somebody's blood. Are you crazy? That's what they used to do. Maybe when you were smaller, you ever had a blood brother that you'd cut yourself? And you, you, you ever, you ever did that? Look, some people like, look, Christina's cringing and shaking her head like, right? Does everybody remember doing that? Having a blood brother or maybe a blood sister? And that's kind of where that came from. It was like you, you were making a blood covenant. But listen, this, this was, they really did this. They would plant a tree as a sign of the covenant or, here we go again, they would give rings as in marriage. You ever wonder why we exchange rings? We're making a covenant. 
with God and with our spouse, with our wife or our husband saying, hey, this is, this is for the long run. This ain't just like, hey, we're going to try this thing out. If it don't work, then we'll move on to something else. No, that this is, you know, I can, I, you know how I know people in America don't understand a covenant? Because the divorce rate's over 50%. That's how I can tell you, entirely even in the church. We don't understand truly what a covenant was. You know why? Because, well, let me say this. goes back to communion. When they made a covenant, there was always a meal involved. This was very important to making a covenant was having a meal. Down here in Cajun country, that would not be a problem for us, right? We have a meal no matter what. We could be making a covenant or making some shells for your garage and we're going to eat something, right? It's just we're going to cook something up before or after or during, right? But th this was important. At the time, they made a blood covenant and they would seal it with a meal. Y'all tracking me? You seen the picture of the communion here? Why we do what we do? When you made a covenant, it could not be broken. You know how serious it was? If it was broken, the one who broke it would be hunted down and even killed. They would be even killed by their own family members sometimes. That's how serious a covenant was. If you made a covenant with someone, this was meant for life. It wasn't like, oh, man, I just, I'm not feeling this covenant no more. It ain't really working for me. No, you would lose your life, literally. This is how important a covenant was. So Jesus dying on the cross was him making a covenant with us by giving his blood for us. Let me say it this way. Aren't we glad Jesus takes our covenant seriously? His side of the covenant, because guess what? He says, I'm making an everlasting covenant with you. Aren't you glad that like, you know, Jesus doesn't like, eh, I'm going to make a covenant 2020 and might run out depending on how you act in, you know? I'm so glad the Lord don't act that way, right? He was making a covenant. I I'm really honing down. I'm, I'm being a little lighthearted, but this is how serious communion is. This is what we're, this is what we're remembering when we, we, when we, we take the cup and take the bread. This is a, a serious everlasting covenant that the Lord has made with us. But guess what? When we do this, we're, we're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm still in this covenant with you as well. Right. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more. So when you would make a blood covenant with everyone or each person was saying, everything that is mine belongs to you and everything that belongs to you belongs to me. Right. That's what a covenant was saying. Again, Going back, there's such a great picture of marriage here. I'm probably going to use some of this stuff Saturday night. There's such a great picture, right? That's what we do whenever we're getting married, right? I mean, even the, the, the woman typically uh, takes the man's name, and we say, hey, we're one now. Two has become one. We, we share everything. It's our house. It's our check. Well, it's supposed to be our checkbook. It's our food. It's our whatever, right? You know, I know I might have just stepped on some toes there. I remember Pastor Todd years ago when I first came to church and he said, you know what? If you don't have a joint checkbook and you're married, you got a problem in your marriage. I'm going to just let you stick, marinate on that for a minute. Everything should be one. It's not his or hers, right? It all should be one. Your, your house, everything. And we do that just symbolic. And, and I, I get people who say, well, man, we had, you know, different, you know, credit and all that stuff. But our house is under both my wife and I's name. Our vehicles under both my wife and I's name. Every one of our checkbooks, our savings accounts, are on the both of our names. There's no his and hers, right, except for clothes. That was what I read this morning, one of the things I read, is that in Deuteronomy it says a man shouldn't wear a woman's clothes and a woman shouldn't wear a man's clothes. That was one of the things that still apply today. Amen? Marcus, you following? You with me, huh? So that's the one thing me and my wife don't share. We don't share. Well, she actually, she wore my T-shirts and stuff, you know what I mean? She's a T-shirt gal, but, but you know what I'm saying, right? You tracking with me. I hope so. You tracking with me? Everything that's mine belongs to you, belongs to me. Now, I'm, I'm giving you a picture of marriage. But what about our covenant with the Lord? This is what Jesus is saying. But you might be saying, man, everything that I have belongs to Jesus. 
You might be saying, man, all I have is sin and shame and unforgiveness. And I got a lot of debt, a lot of sin debt. You know what Jesus is saying? I'll take it all. I'll take it all. He made a covenant with us long before we were wanted to, to even serve the Lord. He said, the Bible says that when we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means he entered into that. He made the provision for the covenant way before we wanted to have anything to do with the Lord. He knew we would have sin debt because believe me, you, all of us have a debt that we cannot pay, right? A sin debt that we cannot pay. We all have shame or had shame, sin, unforgiveness, unworthiness, all of this junk, all of this baggage. Jesus said, I'll take it all. That's truly what a covenant is. And what do we get from him in exchange? We get love, forgiveness, power, and everlasting life, et cetera, et cetera, right? In this, I mean, y'all, we get such the awesome part of this deal, of this covenant, right? So that's truly what a covenant is. When he was saying this, this is the blood of my covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. And they understood that this was something that would not be broken. We need to understand that between the Lord too. And of course, again, if those of you that marriage or if you want to get married one day, consider it. Be serious. I've gotten in a point in ministry where I've had a couple of people that have divorced that I've, I've married. And it's heartbreaking. I've done pre-marriage counseling with them. Now, there's, I've seen signs of, of things maybe second guess or doubting. And I've, I've, I called somebody two weeks before their wedding. I said, if you're not sure, we're calling this thing off. And they were like, oh, no, no, Pastor Brown. You know, I was like, well, I'm just, my wife's telling me some things that you say. And listen, I rather them call it off than enter into this covenant that they're going to break a year later. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm realizing how important and how serious a covenant is. If you got that, say, I got that. Trust me, I'm not going to have you mix anything and drink it of anybody else's tonight. Okay. So just relax. It's even sealed up all together as one, right? Let's look at the bread and the wine a little bit. Bread and wine were the two things used symbolically for Jesus' body and blood. We still use these symbols today. Paul puts it all together in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. This is typically the scripture I'll use when we do communion as part of a service. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. This is the apostle Paul talking about Jesus. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, the cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, as we just talked about. Do this to, to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let me just stop right there again and, and, and just say this because we're focusing on the memorial of Jesus' death. But I love this. Paul says when we do this, we're not only a, 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 a remembering the Lord's death, we're, we're announcing that he's coming again, right? And I love, and I just caught it as I read it just up here. Whenever they ate the Passover, what did he say? He said, eat the Passover with urgency. I love that. That's a good picture too. We should live our life with urgency, that the Lord is coming back soon, right? Just as they had to eat it with urgency, he said, hey, be fully dressed, be ready to roll whenever you eat this. You're going to be eating this, you're going to be on the run. Spiritually speaking, the way we live our lives should be the same way. So communion, yes, is a memorial to Jesus' death in the new covenant, but it also, every time we do this, it renounces and we're looking forward to Jesus coming again, and we should think about it and live away with an urgent expectation of him coming again. Amen? Again, it's to remember his death. It's a memorial. Just like the Passover, I love this. Just like the Passover, it is our redemption from our past life. 
Jesus dying on the cross redeems us from our past life, from who we used to be, who we're not anymore. We don't see the Passover anymore. After the night of the Last Supper, Jesus, because the next day Jesus gave his life to be the Lamb of God. The memorial went from the Passover to communion. So it doesn't matter what you call it, whether it's the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, as long as you understand what we're going to be doing here tonight and every time from here when we take communion. 1 Corinthians 11, let's go up a few verses now, and I want to show the actual word communion and, 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 and what, just like the covenant, the, the gravity of what that word means. 1 Corinthians 11, 20 and 21, it says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's supper or communion. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Because you see, back then when they had communion, it was a full-on meal, right? So what he was saying, and later when you read, he says, hey, if you're hungry, eat before you come. This is not about hurrying up and getting full and getting drunk. He was saying, eat before. Fix you a bologna sandwich before you leave the house. So you can be a little, you know, have a little something in you. And then come, and when we do this, wait for one another. And this is why he was saying that. The word communion means communicating and being one with each other and with God. It's communicating and being one. So communion is, yes, communing with God, communicating our love, appreciation, um, and, and thankfulness, gratitude for the covenant, for the blood. But it's also communicating and being one with each other. So Paul is saying, listen, listen to me, church. You can't have communion with God unless you have communion with one another. And I'm not just talking about the sacrament, that the, the service we do here. I'm talking about in your relationships. What do I mean by that? 1 John 4.20 gives us some insight. If someone says, I love God but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? So in other words, John's saying, if you're not willing to have communion with others in your life, don't lie to yourself and to the Holy Spirit and say you want to have communion with God. I didn't say that John did. I just repeated him. But that's what he said, right? That's what the Bible says. He says, you're a liar. If you don't want to commune with people, and I don't mean like, I don't want to have communion, you know, next to Jeremy in church today. I'm not talking about that kind of communion. I'm talking about, are you unwilling to forgive somebody? Do you have bitterness towards somebody? Do you have jealousy towards somebody? Do you have resentment towards somebody that you are unwilling to let go of? I get that forgiveness is a process. I know that, you know, one man of God said we throw a blanket of forgiveness over things too soon. And I, I agree with that statement. It's a process because if you, but if you're willing to forgive, like, Lord, this person extremely hurt me, betrayed me multiple times, but I release them to you. And even though you have those feelings, it's a process. But if you're refusing to forgive or you have resentment, the Bible says you shouldn't even take communion. And we'll look at that in a minute. So the word communion actually means being one with God and with each other. That's why we do it together. Because it's symbolic of, hey, you know what? I want to be right before God. I love what Paul said, and I misunderstood the scripture for years. He says, I live with a clear conscience before God and before man. And at first I was like, well, yeah, man, he does live with a clear conscience because he's Paul, right? He's the apostle. He wrote most of the New Testament. I thought he meant like, I don't sin, man. I keep a clear conscience because I don't do nothing wrong. That's not what Paul was talking about at all. What he was saying is when I mess up, 
I confess before God and I go make it right with my brother or sister. I live with a clear conscience. I don't hold on to things. If I wrong Tony, I'm going to go ask Tony to forgive me. If, if, if Tony's done something to me, I'm going to release Tony. I'm going to forgive him. That's what Paul meant when he said, I'll keep a clear conscience before God and before man. What he was saying, he understood communion. If I want to stay in communion with Christ, I got to be in open communion with others. As Pastor Todd says, this is tight, but it's right. The more we understand this, the more serious it gets and the more it becomes an oath. You remember the beginning? I said a sacrament actually means an oath. You're taking an oath when you do this. It's not just some little trite thing that we do in church, guys. Are y'all feeling the gravity of what we do here in communion now? That's why I wanted to teach y'all. Remember, I got all this stuff from Brother Francis, so thank you, Brother Francis. Appreciate it. Right? This is, this is, this is what communion, this is the gravity of, of, of what of what this means. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 27 and 30. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Man, that's heavy words right there, right? If you do this in an unworthy way, like if you know you're not right with somebody else or you're not right with God, even tonight, I'm going to be honest, don't even open that first little layer. He said you are drinking judgment upon yourself. This, is, this, is, this isn't a New Testament, right? Yep, it's in the New Testament, right? This is some heavy stuff. I, know, I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of amens there, but this is, you know, this is how important forgiveness is, guys. Remember, re resentment, jealousy, bitterness, forgiveness, all that stuff. It's hard. I, I get it. I know that it's hard to forgive people. I know. But we, again, and it's a process. But I'm talking about if you're refusing to forgive somebody. You got you to gotta work towards releasing them. Why? The Bible says, because Jesus forgave us. He tells a story, and I forgot the exact amount, but it's like when the, the guy that, you know, the, the king forgave him a debt of like over a million dollars, and he went run to his buddy that owed him 20 bucks and would not release him of that debt. That's the same kind of, and even greater, that's the same kind of picture. God has forgiven us an eternal debt. Who are we not to forgive somebody else? At least work towards forgiveness. Do you understand what I'm saying when, I'm, when I say that? Working towards the forgiveness, like I know I need to, so Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to begin to release him. I'm going to get rid of it. That, you know, you might have the feelings. It might be hard to. It's a process. But it's whenever you say, I will never forgive that person. I can never forgive them for what they've done to me. That's unforgiveness. That's saying, I refuse, I'm holding on to it, and I don't matter what, I'm not going to do this. We can't do that. He says, you drink judgment upon yourself if you take communion. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some even die. I don't even have to go any further. That's, some, that's heavy stuff right there. He was telling the church, you know, y'all have stuff inside of you that's causing. And you know what, really, when I look at that, I was going to skim over that. There's, there's actually medical evidence that when you have, you know, stress, worry, anxiety, but even bitterness and unforgiveness, it literally tears you up from the inside out. It literally can make you sick. It really, it can, it can damage your physical health and you die. Paul had that revelation way before. I mean, Luke was a doctor. Maybe Luke gave him a little bit of insight, you know, even what he had back then. But we know now, medically speaking, when you hold on to unforgiveness, bitterness, and strife, you literally can get physically sick, and it can cause some other damage. That's why people say unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Because really, that's what's going on. So when we lift up the bread and the cup tonight, we're saying, Lord, you know me through and through. And Paul says we must ask the Lord to examine us. So tonight, before you take, open up this bread and this cup, which we'll do in a few minutes, I'm wrapping it up. 
examine yourself. Even right now, you might be thinking of somebody that you just still have unforgiveness. Or it might just be like a, a resentment for that person or some jealousy or just something going on. It might just be outright sin in your life that you need to ask the Lord to forgive you. So let's look at the bread before we close. The Latin word for bread, I find this is interesting, is the word pan, P-A-N. So a companion is one who comes with bread. Isn't that interesting? It speaks of a covenant meal. When we say, hey, I have a companion, you know, like your spouse. Here we go with marriage again. Your spouse is what? Your lifelong, some people say companion, right? It's one that comes along with bread. So this word companion speaks of eating a covenant meal with a person. When we come to the Lord's table tonight, we will have bread and we'll have the cup. We can say, I'm a companion with him and I'm one with him and we are one with each other, right? We're coming together as companions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, bringing bread, breaking bread together. At one, we're taking an oath again tonight with the Lord and one another saying, hey, you know what? We're in this together. So are you going to make that oath with the Lord tonight? Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never made that oath. And you need to tonight. Maybe you have at one point and said, yeah, I want to walk with you. I want to serve you, Lord. And you need to renew that oath, that covenant tonight. Will you walk with the Lord all the days of your life? Have you made the, the Jesus your Lord and Savior? Right where you're at, I want you to do me a favor. Bow your head, close your eyes, and, and just ask yourself that question. Am I right with God? Have I entered into a covenant? Some of you in here might have even said the prayer before and said, Brandon, I've been saved. I've said the prayer. I've been coming to church for years. Have you fully entered into an everlasting covenant with Jesus? Have you, have you been totally sold out that if, let me ask you a question. Are you as serious with Jesus that if you would walk away from him, you knew people would be out to get you and you could, you can actually die from it. Like, let's go back in time and say, if you broke that covenant, your own family would come after you to kill you. Have you taken it that serious saying, I, I am never walking away from the Lord because truly if we do, the Bible says nobody can pluck us out of God's hand, but we can walk away from him. And it could cause both physical and especially everlasting death, a separation from the Lord. The Bible says when we die, there's either heaven or hell. Have you entered into an oath or a covenant with the Lord? If you said, Brandon, I don't know what I'm right, if I'm right with God, man. I don't know if, if I've been born again, if I'm saved. If I die tonight, if today was my last day on this earth, if, if I would spend eternity with the Lord Jesus. If you're not sure tonight, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I know most people in here, but I don't know everybody. And I never like to close the service without giving people an opportunity to give their life to Christ. If you say, Brandon, I need to get right with God. I want to make sure, I want to take this, this communion in the right way. I just want you to lift your hand and say, man, I need, I need to get right with the Lord. I'm going to pray with you a simple prayer. Ma'am, I see your hand in the middle. Anybody else? Ma'am, your hand going up in the back. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for being honest. Anybody else? These ladies with their hands up. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. I see your hand right here, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? We're going to pray together. We're all going to pray. Even those of us, with you ladies that just raised your hand, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That means born again, saved, and delivered from things in this life and eternity. So we're going to pray as a family together because we're one. And I just, you ladies, I want you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for making an everlasting covenant with me. Now, Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of every sin. Make me clean. Make me whole today. Give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you 
all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Why don't we give those a round of applause? prayed that prayer for the first time or you just maybe renewed your your oath or your vow so to speak to the Lord there's a card in the pew in front of you says I made a decision I want you to fill that out before you leave and bring it to the info center so tonight as we get ready to take communion together we're going to do it to close the service the Lord has forgiven you he wants to forgive you so is there any division in your life are you not in communion I want you to close your eyes again now let's do business with the Lord there are all of us in here if somebody doesn't have the elements, again, just lift your hands. Just want to make sure before we do this. Okay, look, the worship team over here, uh, Mr. Rex, if you don't mind. If you have any division and you're not in communion with someone, if you have jealousy, envy, bitterness, unsettled matters, unforgiveness, you need to release them to the Lord. Ask the Lord to forgive you and ask the Lord to help you to forgive them if you need to. If you have any sin in your life, you know, we look, we all sin. We mess up every day, but some willful, habitual sin that you continue in, that you need to ask the Lord to forgive you. I want to encourage you. You need to do that or just put the, the cup down and don't even partake tonight if you're not willing to do that. But we need to do that. You know, Psalm 133 tells us that there's power. God's power is manifested in unity. Jesus said a house divided cannot stand. So unity is precious in, to God when we're one with him and one with each other. So if you would just take just the first layer of that cup off, the, there's a little clear plastic part. Just pull that back first and that's going to take the wafer out. Pull that back and let's close our eyes and let's just thank the Lord. Father, I thank you for your body. This represents his body that was broken bruised and beat for us so we can be healed. All those we prayed for earlier, our staff, our pastors, our families, our friends. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your body that was beaten, broken, and bruised so we can be healed, healthy, and whole. We remember what you did tonight. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. Now if you pull back the, the other part. Again, the cup represents his blood. This is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant that will last forever. Come on, let's thank him for his blood right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word says, even though our sins was as red as crimson, you've made them white as snow. Thank you for this blood. Tonight we partake in unity with you and unity with each other, being one in communion, that we, we're new in our covenant with you, Lord. We're, we're remembering the... We're, we're, the redemption, the Passover from our past life, the redemption from the old to the new, that we're new creations in Christ today. Not only do we remember what you did on the cross, but Lord, we are proclaiming your second coming, that you're coming again. And we eat this and we just proclaim and renew an urgency to live our life with a sense of urgency that you're coming again soon. Thank you for your rich royal blood, Lord Jesus. Let's drink together. Lord, we just thank you for this night and this time of communion with you and with one another. Help us to remember the seriousness of what we just did and when we do it every time. That we want to just continue to honor you, walk with you, love you, 
seek you, serve you, fear you, and follow you all the days of our lives. I thank you for these tonight as they go. Bless them and be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless y'all. It's good to be with y'all this evening. If you need specific prayer for anything, we'll be down here. If not, God bless you, and we'll see you Sunday. If